Romans 13, and again, we're here in this section about uh, the, the issue of human government, verse 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to, the, to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. And again, we're, we're going to get, we were looking last time at the issue of the evil. And we'll finish that up this morning and then look at the issue of the good works. But the issue of government, we are to be, the, the, the exhortation is, is that we're to be subject unto the higher powers. But the question comes, why? Well, because, he, and again, Paul doesn't talk about the form of government, the type of government. He doesn't even talk about the people in the government. Down when he says there in verse 4, For he is the minister of God to thee for good. He's not talking about Nero. Because Nero was not a minister of God for good towards the believers. But what he's talking about the government and the reason why. And when we, in our reasonable service, when our willfully thinking this thing through, come to understand that why God ordained human government, because he does it for a very specific reason, then we can back up, not drill down so much into the type and the people, but just stay back at a cursory view and say, hey, we can be good with this. By the way, look over at uh, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. There's, there's a passage here, 2 Timothy 2 and uh, verse number 4, verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth, notice, entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You see that thing about warring entangleth with the affairs of this life? Now, Paul's not saying check out a life, don't pay attention, but he's talking about what's controlling you. What's, what are you getting entangled in? So when you come back here to Romans 13, a lot of believers got entangled and are still entangled with the affairs of this life. And when it comes to human government, they can't get out, off of it. Look, why? <laughs> because they're not, they're, they've drilled down into something First of all, the issue of government and politics is a very emotional thing. So the emotions take over, and they're, you know, they run the show, and that's not where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be coming from the viewpoint of how does God look at government? How is it reasonable service unto God? What is the will of God? It's good. He established it. So then we are to accept it, and then we are to perfect it. So if you come back with me just real quick and just kind of, Remind ourselves, Acts 17, and then we'll run back in and see this issue 
of government and then pick up kind of where we left off last time uh, in Genesis, Acts 17, Acts 17, 26, Paul here on uh, Mars Hill, and hath made of one blood, he's talking about the, uh, the God of the Bible, the Creator, uh, verse 24, God that made the world and all things thereon, see, so that's the unknown God that they're worshiping, well, he, who is he? He's God the Creator, and that's the ultimate issue. Verse 26, and had made, one, made of one blood all nations for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation. Why? That they may should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from us all. And again, happily there, perhaps, perchance, to, to hap, you know, hopefully they get there. It's not a happy, like, woohoo, way we get to look for him. You know, it's, uh, hey, this is what, but what did God do? He, he designed nationalism. And, he, and we got boundaries, geographical boundaries around it. And he designed nationalism, human government, so that man would seek him and, I love that, Feel after him. Feel. What are they? They're blinded. The, the God of this world hath blinded the minds, so they're feeling for him, but ultimately find him. Come on over to Isaiah 10. So the guy, the, the individual that developed and created human government is God. It wasn't George Washington and the boys in 1776. It wasn't even Nero in Rome in Paul's day. All right? It was who? It was God that established human government. And that's Paul's point. The reason that we are to be subject to, number one, is that God is the one that created human government. And human government has a very specific reason. By the way, the number two why you're subject to is that issue of of there's going to be a little condemnation come your way. Why? Because if you step out of line, what's the government going to do to you? Knock you back in line. Hope, okay? Then you've got the issue down in verse 5, for conscience sake. You're doing it because why? Because the Word of God tells you to do it. Follow that? All right? So you've got some, Paul's not, he's not telling you stay under capitalism or, or communism or this or that. He doesn't care. None of that is the issue. By the way, Nero wasn't any of that. He was a dictator. But yet, Rome also had a what? A Senate <laughs> and a parliamentary deal. But yet, Nero ruled with a rod of iron. So you got a mixture of it. That's not the, the issue is God established human government. Isaiah 10, you've got the description here of the Antichrist. Verse 12, wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem. I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. For he saith, so the, the king of Assyria, the Assyrian, the Antichrist, the personification of the adversary, the satanic policy of evil, what's he going to say? By the, strong of, the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom... For I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people, and have robbed their inhabitants like a, like a valiant man. What did he do? He removed the bounds. He went to universal, uh, He went to one world government. He went to globalism. 
okay, to use modern-day terminology. He's a, he's a one-worlder now. He's a new-ager now. See, what did God do? God set the bounds. The adversary wants to remove the bounds. Flip over to chapter 14 of Isaiah, verse 12. Isaiah 12, uh, 14, 12. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? How did he weaken the nations? He took away the boundaries. He's going to make everyone one. So when we come back to Genesis 4, so when we look at in, in Romans 13, and he talks about the evil, there's something very specific here. So God establishes human government. And he does it to protect from a global tyrant, from tyranny. He does it to protect the citizens, humanity. He does it to, to pursue justice. He does it to promote good. But when we look at when God does that, the evil, Genesis 4, we, Cain and Abel. What did Cain do to Abel? Verse 8, he slew him, he killed him. He killed it. So what did God do? God marked him and said, you've got to be a wanderer, a vagabond. And verse, uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 15, the end of that, and the Lord set a mark upon, Cod, upon Cain, lest any find him should kill him. Well, the mark there was to stop the violence, to stop the evil. The evil is the adversarial plan to do what? remove the boundaries, but how, do I, how does he do it? He does it by, by causing violence to happen. Then at the end there, Lamech killed a guy, killed a young man. What's happening? God marks Cain to stop the vigilantia, and yet what has man done? They've waxed worse and worse. Now we've got a, mur a, second, a secondary murder here. No way to deal with it. Chapter 6. Chapter 6. Verse 11, and the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. The middle of verse 13, the earth is filled with violence through them. What's happening here? Man is just getting worse. Now, God hasn't established nationalism yet. What's been established? Volition, free will, marriage, and family. And what Cain kills Abel, what's he doing? He's tearing at the fabric of the family. Cain has, goes out and knows, has a wife. Now Lamech has two wives. What are we, now we're dealing with marriage, breaking that up. So there's this constant onslaught on these uh, institutions. So God floods the earth, chapter 8. Noah comes off the boat, him and his family, they've raised a sacrifice, verse 20, and Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings. I think about that. Everybody goes, oh, you put two, two, two of every kind. Well, no, you put more of the clean animals so that they had something to eat and could do the sacrifice. Did you? There's a little cartoon on Facebook, and it's got a lion, and it's got the ark in the background, and he's got the lion, in the front, and he's really fat. And it says a bad word. So the cruise was lousy, but the buffet was wonderful. 
And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good, okay? You know, the, and, and, you, and no, the ark is in the back. But anyway, without it, it would have been great. I could have shared it, but it's got a bad word in there. So I, I don't want to uh, uh, do that. But anyway, uh, the Lord, verse 21, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. What's going on now? The, the earth, the earth isn't going to be damaged anymore, okay? But man, they're evil from where? The youth. The human condition is not going to change. There's no help for the human condition. Even after the killing of all of humanity, think about that. You have Noah and his three boys and their wives. That's it. And yet, what is still the verdict? The sin nature is going to continue. And you know what's going to happen? Man's heart is just going to get worse and worse and worse. So God institutes chapter 9, government. Chapter 9, Noah comes off the ark, verse 5. And surely, he, again, Noah, well, 9-1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Notice there's no dominion and subdue like he did with Adam. Okay? Why is that? Adam's job was to go out and set up government. He's the first man. Noah's job isn't to set up government. We're going to do it a little different this time. We're going to have nations, nationalism, with boundaries so we can protect and pursue, protect the citizens, protect from tyranny, protect from the evil. The evil weaken the nations. We can pursue justice. We can pursue that which is good. We can come out there and pursue the Lord. We have the, a secure environment for free will and family and marriage to flourish. Verse Two, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. Now, when we pulled up this past week and we saw a deer up on the side of the hill, you know what the deer did? He looked, wiggled his ears at us, and boom, right up the hill. Why? Because it's hunting season coming, and he knows it, and he's moving. Besides, the place is crawling with hunter, you know. So what do we have? Verse 5, and surely your blood... Of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man. Now watch. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whosoever sheddeth man's blood. Now think about that. Cain killed Abel. Abel. Lamech killed the young man. What's the Lord trying to do here? Stem the evil. Slow it down. So what does he institute? Capital punishment. By man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. So now we have capital punishment is established. And it is established to be administered not by man, the individual, but rather now by government. Verse 7. And you, be ye fruitful, and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. Again, Noah, you're not to have dominion. You're to come over here and to just fill the earth back up and 
verse 6, look at verse 6. Wherefore, whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. That's Romans 13, 4 when we go talk about the sword. The job of the government is to wield the sword. It's the one that's to administer and to do capital punishment. Now come over to Genesis 10 because really this is the part that's important here because this is when God separated and, shed, uh, and put up the boundaries, 10-1. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them the sons were sons born, notice, after the flood. So let's remember our timing. We are after the flood, verse 5. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided into their lands. Every one after his tongue, after their families, in their, notice that, nations. First time the word nation shows up is in this context. Notice the breakup of the nations. If you look down at verse 20, these are the sons of Ham, after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. Verse 31, these are the sons of Shem, after their families, and after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah, after their generations, and their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth, notice, after the flood. Who's setting up nationalism? God is. Who wants to tear it down? The adversaries do. A distinct, note, notice this in verse 5. You see that? And their tongues, verse 20, after their tongues. Verse 31, after their tongues. A distinct language is the first one mentioned in, for each, for the boys. So the first thing that that makes up a nation is a distinct language. Then you have a, the family issue and their, the, the, their generations. So now you have a family. You have a, a, a distinct ethnicity, a distinct race. Then you have the issue there of the land and the nations. That's the geography level, the boundaries. So God has made a declaration. Now there, the spiritual reason for all this is the issue of what's man's heart going to continue towards? Violence. What does God want him to do? Seek me. Find me. The adversary steps in and says, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something else here. Okay? So you have God established. How does he do it? Uh, tongues, families, and nations. Language, race, the geography borders, ge geography. But I want you to notice something in chapter 10. Look at verse, oh, verse 25. And unto Eber was born two sons. The name of one was Peg Peleg. Now watch. For in his days was the earth divided. So God doesn't just instantly divide up the earth. He waits for the fifth generation of Shem to show up. Okay, so we're five generations down from Shem. Verse 21, unto Shem also the father of all the children of Eber, 
See? So we're five generations. So God divides the nations, not right after the meeting with Noah, but what? Five generations later. And why this is critical is because God is responding here to what the adversary is doing. And really, we see that in chapter 11, 11, 1 and so forth. We'll get there in just a second. What is the adversary doing? One world, one language, one people, one religion, one government, right? So God says, I'm going to do Genesis 10 in response. Now watch this work out, 10-8, chapter 10. So really, 10 and 11, <laughs> he breaks 10 out so he can see the national division, but 11, 1 to 7 is what's going on. Now, but it's not going on right away. It's going on when? A little bit later, verse 8. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. Do you see Nimrod? Nimrod is the third generation from Ham. So Ham, Cush, Nimrod. So when Peleg is born, Nimrod is roughly 70 years old. Again, Peleg's born, that's when God divides out the nations. So Nimrod is what? 70 years old. Now why is this important? Well, who was Nimrod? Verse 8. He's a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Who was Nimrod? Well, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, don't you know? He's out there. But do you realize that he's not out there hunting things? <laughs> How was he a mighty hunter before the Lord? He wasn't out killing game and stocking the stores. He's a tyrant. He's, a, he's out hunting people. He's a dictator. He's doing 11-1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. You know what he's doing? If you don't comply and get in line, you're going in the gas chamber. He's out there. He, he's literally out there doing what we see the atrocities in our in history. You know, uh, you think instantly you think of uh, Hitler, but don't forget Stalin and Lenin and uh, Mussolini. That's the one I couldn't think of. I was going to call him Machiavelli, but that's the wrong guy. You know, Mus I knew it was. Another one, another Italian. There you go. But what are they doing? They're out there, if you don't comply, nailing them. So his mighty hunter, isn't that he's out there with the bow and arrow stocking the store? But what's he doing? He's a dictator. He's out killing people. He's a tyrant. He's out conquering everyone. That's why the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And then in verse 11, out of that land went forth. So he's going to produce other cities who are, what, a part of the government, the part of the one world thing. So he's out on a one world mission, globalism. So what does God do? I got an answer. Peleg born, I got an answer. I'm going to divide up man. And I'm going to divide up man into nationalities, and I'm going to put bounds around them. Again, Acts 17, what's his plan? That they can seek me, feel for me, and find me. What does Satan want to do with that? Weaken it. He doesn't want man finding God. 
So he puts up a competing system. You follow? 1010. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Now we're in 11, chapter 11. We see the details in chapter 11 here, the first seven, eight verses, nine verses, of what's going on in chapter 10, verse 8, 9, and 10, and why in 1025 we see it said that when Peleg was born, five generations later, so two generations after Nimrod, now we have Peleg going. Now what do we have? We have God confounding and doing. So you read verse 1. 11.1, the whole earth was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And boy, that land of Shinar, that's a, that's a wonderful place you ought to study through history. Verse 3, and they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar, and they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven, and let us make us a name. See that issue of legacy, passing it on. Reputation, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. Now, that's what God told Noah and the boys to do, and they've communicated that obviously down through the lines, because what does Nimrod say? We ain't going to do that. Rather, we're going to go out, I mean, do you think about Nimrod's third generation from Ham? You know he knows that the edict of God is for us to say, and he's seen man dispersed, so what does he do? He starts going out, he builds him a city, Babel, he starts going out conquering the territories. City, a political, governmental power structure, the tower. All through scripture, the tower is a reference to religion. And it's a religious system. But we're all under what? One. So what, is, what does Nimrod want? He wants to make a religious center in a city, a political entity altogether. By the way, do you know of a city that has that in today? It's called Rome in the Vatican. It is a political entity. It's a power, and it's, yet, it's also its own little sovereign nation. <laughs> But it's also what? A religious center. See, you got, so you, when you look at that, you see a modern manifestation of this original deal here. So the Lord comes, verse 5, and the Lord came down, I love this, to see the city and the tower which the children of men build. You don't you think he knows, but he just comes down. So what do you have? He himself is going to intervene here. He doesn't send an, an, an angel or, or Gabriel or Michael. He comes. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they, are, they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and nothing will be restrained from them. There's the evil which they have imagined to do. So, go to, let us go down and there and confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. What did he just establish in chapter 10? The national boundaries. So what you're reading in the details of 11.1 to 9 
you're reading in the greater details of what in chapter 10. What did he do? He separated. Man came in here, and, and the edict, the word of God was to scatter, to replenish, and to multiply, and to fill the earth up. Man said, no, thank you. God said, that's okay. I've had the answer all the time, and it's going to be national, nation, nationalism. And the first thing he does is confound their language. That's the first element in nationalism is language. Then the land and then the, the, the family and so forth. So that's what we need to understand when we go back to Romans 13. So go back to Romans 13. When you're in Romans 13... Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. We, have, we need to have that understanding of why did he create it. God's the one that created nationalism, human government. Okay? By the way, you've got to be careful when you talk about nationalism, because then you get into what is called Christian nationalism. Versus Bible, we're talking Bible national, okay? We're talking what the scriptures say, all right? It's, and, and by the way, all of that is is a re, a re a, it's, it's a pig in a different dress of what used to be called the moral majority. If you really look into, when you hear them Christian national and you go look at Jerry Falwell and the, and the religious right and the moral majority and all those guys did back in the 80s, this is just a redress of that. It, anyway, get me off on all that. That's, by the way, that's some light reading when you're really bored. Not really. I, I encourage you not to worry about it. Don't worry about it. So be subject to. Why? Because who developed human government to begin with? God did. And God's word says he did. So we, we have to have a, that different perspective. We have to have that renewed mind. We have to have that ability to look at it and say, listen, God did this. So guess what? I need to be in line with it. Well, what happens if it break, you know, violates this? We're going to talk about all that next week because there is a legitimate civil disobedience to government. Do you know that God, he told, I just had it in my head. Doggone it. He told the guy to lie. Man, where did that go? The wise men, that was it. Sorry. You know that God told the wise men to lie to King Herod? <gasps> what? Oh, my goodness. Well, but why did he tell them to lie? Because of the baby Jesus and what was going to happen. But did you know that the wise men gladly did it? They did it quietly, resisting the government. They just quietly went the other direction. And they also were willing to take the consequence of the defilement, of defiling Herod. We'll look at that next time. Anyway, more of that next week. Let's get through here. 13.1, actually verse 3. For the rulers are not terror to good works, but to the evil, the violence. And that's why in verse 4, for he is the minister of God, to thee for good. Again, he, not talking about Nero. Nero was a wicked man. 
and Paul. Our government isn't the greatest thing since sliced bread either, okay? It's better than some of the other stuff out there, Russia and all that other, Putin and so forth. But they still, he's, he's talking about the, the national, the whole of it, the bigger picture of it. Verse 4, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. Again, what's the evil? Violence. How did Satan weaken the nation? He caused violence to be in the earth by, a defi by defying and disobeying and rejecting the word of God. What was going on in Noah's boy's day? And what was going on with Nimrod? He said, we're not going to do what God's word says to do, so we're going to do this. And what did that create? It filled the earth again with violence. So God says, okay, we'll confound them, we'll ship them out, and we'll make nations. And we'll have nationalism designed to protect those that are doing good. And we'll talk about that in just a second here. But see, the thing here, verse 4 for he beareth not the sword in vain. He's able, the government is legitimately allowed to enforce capital punishment and, and laws and, and consequences. Everybody says, well, we can just, no consequences, no responsibility. No, God says there is consequences for your decisions that you make. So the sword here isn't something that he's just willy-nilly wielding. You know, you guys have all know the stories of an innocent man on death row, and they find out after the fact. Well, everybody goes, oh, I shouldn't have cap. No, you do a better investigating job, I guess. I don't know. And then they use DNA now, and they find out guys are on there wrongly, and what do you do? What do they do when they find a guy wrongly charged? They let him go. And then they try to rectify. Now, you will never give the guy back whatever time he's in jail, but you can monetarily, they try to fix it, right, make up for a little bit. And everybody, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. No, that's what government is to do, right, right the wrong. But when the guy's guilty, violating and breaking the law, then what are you to do to him? You're to nail him. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now, come over to Ecclesiastes 8, because this is the verse you always get looked at. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11. Now, we're in Solomon, so we're a few years from Noah and the boys. Government has, King David has been, now King Solomon now Solomon is kind of fallen away, and he's out off looking through human wisdom. Verse 11, Ecclesiastes 8:11, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. So what's government not doing? Its job. Therefore, now watch the result. The heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because the government doesn't enforce the rules, what's going to happen in humanity? It's just getting worse and worse and worse. Come back to Romans 13. So the issue here, again, in the context of Romans 13, we are to understand why God ordained the powers to be. 
Why did he do that? Why does he put government in? It's to put up a boundary, around nationalism, to put up a boundary around humanity to protect them from the evil, the violence, the immigrants that are invading from the south. They come out of Central America, a lot of them do. And you ask them, why did you come? And you know what usually they say? It isn't safe where I live. Well, it ain't safe for them here. Do you guys know, I read a thing the other day, that those buses from Texas going to New York, do you know that those people that are unloading in New York are leaving New York as fast as they can because it's not safe in New York? It's just like where they left. And I'm like, here you are, you're in America thinking you're going to be safe, and you get dumped off in man, wherever they are in New York, and it's worse there than it is where you came from. Okay, maybe you ought to think about not, go, you know, not coming. But the thing is, is what is government doing? We, what are we to do? Verse 5, wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Folks, we're to, we're to look at human government, we're to look at nationalism as a safe harbor. Rather than being an enemy, by the way, what are we to do with the enemy? Already we learned in chapter 12. We're to look at them the same way God looks at them. Thirsty, drink them, hunger, feed them. We're to be okay with them. We're not to avenge that. Why? God will avenge it one day. Today's not the day of wrath. Today's not the day of vengeance. That comes out in the future. We talked about that. So if we're having the same perspective that God has about government, then what do we look for? It's a safe harbor. That's the conscience sake. It isn't having a clear conscience, oh, I paid my 1040s this year and everything's good to go. No, you did that because, well, verse 7 tells you to do that. By the way, if you don't do that, what's the, what's, what are you now? You're in defilement of the government. What's the government going to do? They're going to come in and lock you up and throw you in jail or fine you to death, you know. Anyway, okay? So it's pretty straightforward. Now, back up to verse 3 real quick. For the rulers are not a terror to, notice, good works. So in the context, the good works is the issue of being subject to. Because what does verse 1 say? Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Verse 5, wherefore ye must needs be subject. And again, the issue of being subject isn't it's the issue of honoring and respecting the offices, the full, the government? It isn't saying that we love you and we fall in love with you, or we're overly, you know, uh, uh, honored by you and all that. The issue is respect the office, respect the government. And I've used it oftentimes. You look at you pick a president. Somebody in the room didn't like him. Somebody in the room liked him. But what did we all do? Respect the office, because who is he? He's the president. Same with Congress, etc. Okay? That's the issue. The good works. Verse 3. Do, do that which is good. The end of the verse. And thou shalt have praise of the same. Praise how? Because you're subject to it. And again, he's not talking about, you know, Nero or, or the person. Do you, do you realize when the pandemic happened, when COVID came in, 
I went back because everybody was throwing up. Well, in 1918, in the Spanish flu, we did this and that. We wore masks and blah, blah, blah. I went back to the first century in Google, because Google can let you go back there in the history. And I looked at pandemics in the first century. And do you know that Rome had a pandemic every other week? They did. It was crazy. About every other month, some new disease was up. But do you know what they did? They took their sick and laid them on the street to die. Just put them out in the curb. Do you know who came by and tended to those people? Christians. The Christians did. And they would nurse them back to health or bury them if they were dead. So then when Nero started persecuting the Christians in the big coliseums and everything, do you know what the citizenry did? They revolted against that. Because what Nero was saying the Christians were wasn't what the citizens were seeing them be. They were being who they were in Christ. They were being in line with the doc. They were taken care of. And if you take Christianity as a big word, I know, and you look at its impact of civilization over history, in this country, who ran all the hospitals back in the day? Do you remember? Catholics, Presbyterians. Maybe a Methodist here or an Episcopalian, just depending on the little town, okay? But now who runs it? Big governmental corporations do. See? So when you think about a praise of them, a, pra a praise of the same. Look, the government, in Nero, in Rome, the, the, the Senate, they acknowledge the benefit of the Christian community in Rome in that time. But what is Nero doing? He's killing them, persecuting them. The citizenry said enough of that, and you're out. Now, think, let's think about... So don't think when you read this going, oh, well, you know, we just got to be okay with, you know, the communistic dictator. No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about if you live in that system, you need to be subject to it, okay? Fortunately, today, what can you do? Usually you can sell and move somewhere <laughs> and get out, maybe. I don't know anymore. But let's think about the good works. Come over to Titus 3. So when he says good works there, the good work in the context is the issue of being subject to. And again, Titus 3, Paul does not tell you to revolt. He doesn't tell you to march on Washington. He doesn't tell you to, and by the way, he doesn't tell you to abuse the system either. That's why he says if you're going to provide, you better be working to provide for your own. Because the government was never to be a social bailout program, people. The government was to do what? Protect, deal with the evil, the violence, protect, and pursue. See, in our system, we have such a social economics. Do you ever, maybe you guys do, I'm preaching to the choir probably. But anyway, Titus 3. Ask me sometime about, anyway, don't ask me. 3 1. 3 1. Put them in mind, now watch, to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates and to be ready to every good work. What are we to be ready to do? Well, it's a good work, but where does it start? Being subject to. See the context. Now watch verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm 
How often? Constantly. That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Now, what are the good works in the context of verse 8? Verse 1. Be subject to the principalities and the powers and obey the magistrates to speak evil of no man. Verse 2. To be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Why? Because you were there, verse 4, you got saved, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, there's your benefits. You were there as a rebellious little savage sinner. You came to Calvary. Maybe you were revolting against the government. You come to Calvary, now you're going to be what? Subject to. You're going to have a what? A renewed mind viewpoint. Now, again, if they overstep their bounds, come over to Galatians 6. Think about this issue of good works. The context, understand something about what is really going on. And again, we have to take care not to just drill down in our own situation. The type of government we have here and where we think we see it going and who's there and who's not, okay? Now, in our system, we have a say in who's there and who's not. Exercise that say. I I, I said it last week. Ultimately, what Paul's telling you to be is a good citizen of of the country you live in. That's really what he's saying to be. Chapter 6, verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto who? All men. Not just, well, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. That's not just take care of each other, that's do it where? To all men. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. And verse 15. Right in the middle of all this exhortation here. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Man, you know what we're learning here in Romans 13 is that as ambassadors of Christ, the reason we do good, even towards a guy like Nero or Hitler or Mussolini or any of them, is because we understand that we're not a part of this world, but we are a part of the kingdom of his dear son. We're sent here to do a job, and one of those issues is this issue here of recognizing, go back to Romans 13, understanding that in verse 4, the government is a minister of God to thee for good. So when we interact, no matter what's going on, whether the government loves you, because that's only for the season, The next season, they may hate you. We're to understand why God established the human human government, why he ordained the powers to be, and we're, we're to be in obedience because of those powers, because of that understanding. You follow that? Now, come back with me to Acts 5. Because this verse then gets thrown up at us. Acts 5. 
Folks, we're to obey the ordinances because God ordained the ordinances. He didn't ordain the people in the ordinance, in the power structure. He didn't ordain the, power, the way the government is. By the way, those people need to hear the gospel and get saved. That's what, but that's our job as ambassadors. What is the message of, what is God's attitude towards the world? We learned it in Romans 12. It's grace and peace. It isn't wrath and violence and vengeance. There will be a day of that in the future, but right now it's grace and peace. Listen, if you go into a situation in life with grace and peace rather than wrath and anger, and I'm going to get my way, you might end up getting your way after all. You know, what's that little thing, a little sugar catches, you catch more flies with honey or something like that anyway. Okay? Well, that's kind of maybe a little attitude to have, you know, be wise as serpents or, and uh, be wise as the doves or crap, I don't know. Boy, the verses are bad today. Look at Acts 5. Good thing there's not a lot of folks here, huh? Now the internet's probably loaded today and that's okay. You and I, we should never be the reason, we shouldn't be the reason that government gets violated. Don't be the cause for, because of your being disobedient. Let Nero be the cause. Let the guys in the offices be the cause. You, that's Nero's problem. That's the, govern, the, the people's problem. Let's be in it the way that we're supposed to be in it. We're to be in it subject to. Now watch Acts 5, verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Okay? See, we ought to be obeying God rather than men. But what did God just say for us to do? Be subject to. Well, maybe only in this case. No, there's no well, there's no hypothesis hypothetical situation we already looked at Paul's day Paul was he was beaten by the Roman government and then they found out he's Roman and then they go oh here let's put a little band-aid on it and put would you leave out the back door please you know he's like no I'm calling a press conference we're having this out front no let's go out back no we're going why because they but Paul never pro you know he never said that those guys that beat him ought to be thrown in jail and they were of wicked you know what he said he goes you know what they're sinners they need to get saved here's the gospel and then they beat on him again <laughs> you know when we see and when we understand that God why God ordained it all okay then for conscience sake what can we do now, next time, it's time to quit. Next time, we'll see when it is appropriate to resist government. Because, and by the way, there's no hypothetical in any of this. Because when you see when it is appropriate to respond, i.e., I said a minute ago, God made, told the wise men to lie to Herod and the guys. Why? Well, there's a reason going on, but what did they do? They willingly, they did it quietly, and they were willing to accept the consequence. And that's the key in the resisting to the government. 
Think about Rahab with the two spies. When those, when those government officials knocked on the door, what did she do? She lied to the government. So there was a moment when we ought to obey God rather than men. But the key isn't that. The key is, how did she do it? She did it quietly. And what was she willing to do? If they had found out that she had the two spies, what would they have done to her? They'd have killed her. And she was willing to take on that consequence. So when you get into this, you, you, there, the, the, this whole of it, go back to Romans 13. <laughs> the thing down there in verse 7 about render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due. You know, the pay the tax thing. None of us like to pay taxes. I sure don't. But I do because if you don't, what's the guy with the power going to do? He'll come and get you. And I'd rather be, be here in the flesh than there in the flesh. Okay? So just understand this morning why God ordained. It's for the benefit of humanity. And we're to be subject to it for that. It's there to protect against the violence and the evil. It's there to pursue justice and pursue good, pursue him. But then it's also to protect. When you, when you put a boundary up, you're protect, and your country is safe, that country is violent. What are you protecting against? That violence coming into this country. So the violence isn't inside the walls all the time. It's outside coming in. And we've seen that in our recent history in Europe when the, the, the folks were migrating out of Syria and that part of the country. And, and quickly Europe threw fences up to keep them out. Why? Because they didn't want that violence in their country. And you understand that by seeing the countries that just let them in willy-nilly and then the violence that popped up. So, so walls are good when they're administered accordingly, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you that we're in your son and for all that you've given to us in him. In your name we pray. Amen.